0: but I wanted to write it to, to hopefully be accessible for the, the person I would know best, even though the heart is deceptive of all things, would mm-hmm. be myself. So I try mm-hmm. to think through like, at 17, I've been a Christian for two years, was wrestling with what do I wanna do? Is it art or is it, you know, go to Bible college, which obviously I did. Um, I wanna to write to that kid. <laughs> I'm Rush Witt, and
1: you're listening to Straight to the Heart, a podcast from New Growth Press, Each episode includes thought-provoking conversations with leading Christian writers and thinkers. We hear who they are, what they believe, how they approach their work in ministry, and the moments and people who have changed their lives. In Straight to the Heart, we go beyond the books to connect with the remarkable people behind them. In this episode, I talk with Daniel DeWitt, author of Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. Dan's also a senior fellow at Southwest Baptist University. Where he leads the center for worldview and culture he teaches on theology philosophy and c.s lewis he also hosts a lewis inspired podcast called mere caffeination you'll enjoy hearing the down-to-earth way dan helps students make sense of the world in creative ways dan's heart runs deep with love for truth and beauty and knowing more of god this is straight to the heart I subscribed to your podcast today. I didn't, oh, cool. I didn't realize that you had a podcast until you said that in your in your message uh, to me. And that's really interesting. How did you start the your podcast? Why did you why did you want to start a podcast?
0: Yeah, so I um I, I would say if you're gonna start listening to it, like start with the last episode because I've been learning audio production. So okay. the last I understand one's that. better. Um and, I understand I'm gonna go back and kind of re whatever you do, re-engineer the earlier ones to, to kind of fix some audio issues. Yeah. But, um, in my remote position at, at Southwest Baptist university, you know, um, you have to find creative ways to contribute. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the, if I did some things that kind of like your podcast with new growth that are helpful to the brand, um, mm. that I could do remotely. So the goal really was—I've done it for a, for one year. We did the first season, and it was just to find a, a way. Um, I've had people like encourage me, like, "Hey, you should consider a podcast." And um, you know how it is with 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 doing stuff to build a platform. It always feels a mm-hmm. little like, even if you really want to do it just for fun, it feels a little slimy. Yeah. And um, but I think the fact that it would be a way I could promote the school was like the final push, uh-huh. and. So, the podcast is Mere Caffeination, of course, inspired by C.S. Lewis. And the subtitle is an Inklings inspired podcast about cultivating a winsome Christian witness with clarity, creativity, and kindness. And so, it's a kind of a, a mixture of half interview and then half. This first season, I did a survey through the screw tape letters. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then, next season, I'll be a survey through Mere Christianity.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah, I, that's. I'm really interested to to listen to it. You know, I would imagine most people, and even myself, I'm familiar with C. S. Lewis, and I'm familiar with the term "inklings," and I I think I know generally what that what that was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but you would know a lot more. What what exactly were the inklings? This, it was a group, right? A group that C. S. Lewis yeah. belonged to,
0: and I, but I don't know a lot about who else was was a part of it. Yeah. So the inklings was originally a. Um, I want to say it was a title that was used by a student group at Oxford University. And then at some point was just kind of abandoned. You know how group names come and go. And so um, Tolkien and Lewis would meet regularly, J.R. Tolkien, and discuss their writings. And they had been a part of a group earlier that was called The Cave, which is really interesting. Yeah, so The Inklings was not their first kind of go around. And the That's cave, what I
1: call my office.
0: Oh, there Here you In go. this
1: basement, I call there it The go. Cave. Uh, I don't, it's probably nothing. Theirs was probably way better. Wood, <laughs> nice wood, I'm imagining rustic.
0: Um, so the the cave was like this This group of academics who were lobbying to get a new syllabus passed and they spent like a decade. And then like it was a, this grand celebration when they had this syllabus passed, which is to me illustrates how slow change is in higher education. Mm. And so, um, but the inklings, there's like a technical inklings, which are the people who actually came to the meetings. Um, Some people came in and out. I think Dorothy Sayers was there on a couple occasions. Mm -hmm. Lewis's um, brother, Warren Lewis, who he called Warney, was there pretty regularly. And then it's kind of used in a more general sense of people who never attended, never even met Lewis or Tolkien, people like GK Chesterton just because mm-hmm. he'll, he'll be considered an inkling just because of his influence. So you mm-hmm. kind of have those two uses of that term, but they would meet right. and talk about literature and enjoy one another's company and laughter. And you, know, you read about those meetings. They would read each other excerpts of, you know, Lewis read excerpts of the screw tape letters, um, Tolkien read excerpts of, wow. of the rings and, you know, just imagine being wow. on, a fly imagine on the that. wall. Yeah.
1: Well, this is uh, really great for me because this is the first time that we've really gotten to talk. We've sort of mm-hmm. passed before. And of course, uh, with the, your book, Sketchy Views at New Growth Press, um, you know, getting a little familiar with you that way. And one of the things that I think is interesting about you is that not only are you working in higher education, but also there is this real creative thread that runs through. I mean, th- I mean, uh, mirror caffeination podcast, that's a creative thing. Sketchy views as a book, um, in which you've sketched out a lot of different aspects to help the content of the book land and make sense, uh, and help readers make sense of the world. That's a super creative thing. And so I think that's really interesting that, um, that those two things come together. I don't think, I don't think of that as kind of a normal combo i'm trying to think about other people i know in higher education how many do i feel are are creatives i mean there's always a creative process because there's writing involved and books and all of that but in terms of creativity so you know it seems like a
0: unique blend yeah i've always been and my and my kids are this way they're always writing stories and illustrating them and so i've always loved that and never like aspired to be a writer or even an academic um but I've had some mentors in my life who've just kind of pushed me along the way. And so I ended up getting a degree. Um, uh, but I started out, um, uh, planning on going into graphic design. And so really, yeah, my daughter, yeah. my
1: daughter, one of my daughters is, is trying to think through that maybe as a career path.
0: You you know, it's, it, the, the creative realm is, is such a neat space and it's also a, a real missions opportunity. So I have friends who are in full-time marketing, um, and one of my friends that tells me regularly, we just need more committed Christians who are really good at the trade um, to be in the space. And so became a Christian at 15, at 17, felt called to ministry. But right before that, um, I was in my, my small hometown, the women's auxiliary unit um, or whatever the group um uh, contacted my art teacher and said, we want to scholarship someone to go to Eastern Illinois University for a summer camp, which I wouldn't have had the money to do it and wouldn't have even thought to do it. And my art teacher called and said, we have this scholarship. Um, it's a summer program um, and we want you to be the recipient of it. And so I was elated, went to um, Eastern Illinois University, studied graphic design for just a couple of weeks under the guy who created the Big Ten logo. The, not the Not the most current iteration, but the last one. And, um, and just loved it and thought, this is what I want to do with my life. And then a week later I was, um, with my very independent, fundamental Baptist church at youth camp and since God working in my heart. And then from that point was kind of directed, well, you need to go to Bible college. And in my mind, Rush, I really thought that meant like, I'm done with creative stuff and now I just study the Bible. And it took years for me to, to one not be embarrassed that Uh I like to draw and sketch. And and two, to see that that's actually God's glory is in that. And so what has unfolded over the years has been like wherever I've served, I just end up helping with creative stuff. And I love that for me, like graphic, Adobe Creative Suite is my happy space. It's like a video game for me. and That's so so interesting. G.K. Chesterton, who's one of my favorite authors, um, mm-hmm. wrote, wrote the book, The Everlasting Man, that Lewis called the greatest Christian apologetic he had ever read. He read it as an atheist, so it contributed to his conversion. Chesterton illustrated as many books as he wrote. And so it was Chesterton who kind of gave me license to um, like, put down a textbook and pick up a sketchbook.
1: Is your understanding of who God is and how he works in our lives today a little sketchy? Daniel DeWitt's Sketchy Views is a beginner's guide to making sense of God. In order to understand God, we have to go back to the Bible, but that can be overwhelming if you're new to theology. Well, Sketchy Views uses words and sketches to help readers visually connect with and understand what basic Christian theology is and what it's not. This book contains illustrations to clarify the basics of theology, Christian thinking and making sense of worldview issues. Skeptics, atheists, and theological novices will learn basic truths about God and how Christians through the ages have come to these conclusions. And readers will be challenged to examine their basic beliefs about God and themselves and see how they affect every part of life. Visit NewGrowthPress.com to learn more about Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God by Daniel DeWitt. Well, it makes sense why you are, have been influenced so much, uh, by CS Lewis. And I, I really want to hear more about what your connection now in terms of your, your current work and, and what you've been doing, you know, is how that's connected to CS Lewis, but that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's another great example of, um, you know, higher education mixed with this really incredible and the, and the inklings that we were talking about, incredible, uh, creativity. And I, I how did you how did you uh, get your introduction to cs lewis in the beginning and what was that what was that like cuz i mean you you just said you know this your your introduction to chesterton really fueled this uh this delight that you had uh, artistically and finding a an outlet for that in in ministry and and really pairing those together so so what was your intro to cs lewis like
0: yeah. So I think when I was in seminary, I would say that Lewis was my favorite author in mm-hmm. the same way that I think most seminary students would say they love good coffee. Like it was just mm-hmm. kind of expected of you, you know, yeah. like there's this hipster ethos and that's just part of it, you know. And um, so it, my real introduction was when my wife and I, I was in my doctoral program and our um, local bookstore nearby in Louisville, Kentucky, had a, a readers group on the screw tape letters. I thought, I'm going to do that. That'd be a great way to... It wasn't a Christian bookstore. You know, it was actually a a Borders bookstore that they're closed. You know, it's a chain that's closed now. And so I signed up for it. I reread the Screw Tape Letters, um, but I didn't have like just a copy of the book. So I went um, in Borders and bought what was the like the signature series and had several books by Lewis all in one big, you know, one big book and uh, read it, kind of developed this theory, like, you know, one have some like really profound insights. And so prepped for it, showed up the night of the the book club. Nobody else showed up. There was no, like I'd seen a poster for it and I didn't know anybody who was going. And then I showed up on the date, the time and nobody was there. So I sat there and I just started flipping through the signature series that I brought up and marked up the screw tape letters. And I'm like, man, there's this, he wrote this book called a grief observed. That was like just him lamenting the loss of his wife. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he wrote thoughts on the Psalms. Like, I, you know, I just started reading it, and then, then I really got into it. And so then I picked up um, a book that had some of his letters in it. And now there's a three-volume set of Lewis's letters, uh, and that's not even all of his letters. I mean, there are the, the Latin letters of C.S. Lewis where an Italian priest wrote him but didn't know English, and Lewis didn't know conversation Italian, so they wrote letters in Latin to each other. So I just started like gobbling up all this stuff and I don't read Latin for full disclosure. So <laughs> there's English um, the translations in the book. But as I was reading the uh, one of the letters, I saw that Carl F.H. Henry had written C.S. Lewis and asked him to write letters, um, articles for the inaugural edition of Christianity Today, the very first one. And Lewis wrote him back and said, no, he declined the offer. And I was just blown away by that. And so really? I, I put it on Twitter and the um, the managing editor of Christianity Today at that time, who I wasn't like buddies with, or he just, because I put Christianity Today in the tweet, he messaged me and he's like, um, hey, where did you find that? I didn't know that. And so I shared with him and I'm like, well, I started looking into it. And I'm like, this is really cool. It ties into something that happened really early in Lewis's life. And um so he asked me to write an article for Christianity Today on that, that little tidbit. So I write that. And then like a month later later, um, you know, and you know how things happen, it just kind of got a lot of traction. And you yeah. know, it, I wouldn't say yeah. it went viral, but it got a lot mm-hmm. of people reading yeah. it. And so, like a month later, I get an email from someone from Desiring God, and they're like, Hey, our next conference is on CS Lewis. Will you be one of our breakout speakers? I'm like, wow. Well, sure. So I go and do that. And then from that point on, I'm getting introduced as a Lewis scholar. And I'm like all I did was sign up for a yeah. reading club and then tweet something. <laughs> so, that's
1: hilarious.
0: But if that makes you a scholar then hey I'm will wow. take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really that's really hilarious. All of that coming because CS Lewis turned down yeah, an opportunity and then
0: that gave uh, me the opportunity to run. Gave you gave <laughs>
1: you a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, that's super that's super interesting. Wow. Um There are obviously tons of people that have been influenced or really um, gravitate towards C.S. Lewis and because they, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, I mean, not Lord of the Rings, uh, Chronicles of Narnia and uh, and, and so many other kind of classic stories and books that people, you know, read or pick up on. And so it seems like as I think about people who are who are into C.S. Lewis. I don't really know any anyone who gets into C.S. Lewis who just says, oh, yeah, I like those stories. There's something mm-hmm. more to it. It, it takes gr- root in their lives. And then mm-hmm. their lives are kind of redirected or flavored by C.S. Lewis. And mm-hmm. so for a true C.S. Lewis scholar like yourself, <laughs> I'm imagining you at this reading, you are by yourself Right. Right. You were by yourself when this happened in Louisville and then you just start to, uh, I guess you leave there and you start really just taking in all this Mm CS Lewis, like, like a lot of people do. And then how did that, what would you say are the main ways that that directed your, your thinking or -hmm. your life? Uh, what were the, the rich benefits? It's not just, uh, I like the stories. So I enjoy it. And then I put it down. I go about my life, but it changes things. What, what did CS Lewis change for you?
0: Oh my goodness. So I, my parents got divorced. The My dad moved out the day after I graduated high school and mm. then I was in Bible college three months later. And so wow. while I was in Bible college really had a crisis of faith because of what was going on. Then also because the Bible college was a part of, um, some good folks who love the Lord, but it was, you know, an anti-intellectual bent. Um, and, and then I, I had come from a you know public school where we, after I became a believer, did a Bible study with just the Christians I knew there. And it was, you know, you probably described it as pretty ecumenical, but for me, it was like a life, you know? And so all of these things that were meaningful to me, um, I was constantly being told they're, they're not good, they're bad. And, um, I really struggled with like, I don't think I fit this world. Like I didn't question whether or not I should be a Christian, but I just, I I was totally disoriented. And, um, and so when I started reading Lewis years later, I think that that helped me kind of see, uh, I'll put it this way. So I've heard Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist say that um, Charles Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually satisfied atheist. And, I've heard others say of C.S. Lewis, to kind of flip that, that C.S. Lewis made it possible for them to be an intellectually satisfied Christian. Mm. And so I think for That's me with, with Lewis, it just kind of opened up these horizons. And um, my favorite quote by him, I think that this might be the best way to give a concise answer. I could be mm. loquacious. So um, Lewis's my favorite quote of his comes from an essay he wrote called is Theology Poetry. And he ends the essay with with these words, Um I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. And I think for me, Lewis was that kind of introduction into worldview thinking, to begin just seeing everything from a Christian perspective, instead of these like cleared um, lines drawn between you know sacred and secular, to see that actually there's a way that like come to come back to art, there's a way that um, there's a way that the Christian can. Be salt and light in so many different facets. And Lewis illustrated that from the university to the pulpit, um, to personal friendships, to literature. Yeah. Hmm. So he's so impacted me. Years ago, I stood at his graveside, and uh, I taught, was teaching a C.S. Lewis class there in England, and taught, had taught it. We spent a day in his um, his house. So, and then brought a a true Lewis scholar in from Oxford University, um, who came and gave a lecture all day. Michael Ward came and gave a lecture on his his book, The Narni Code. And uh, then we went to Lewis's church, and then I stood by his graveside and gave a short little talk. And then everybody else went in, and then I just asked, "Yeah, I'm gonna stay here for a minute." And I stood there, and I I just thanked God for this man who's buried there, um, because he's made a really a profound impact on my, I'm I'm deeply thankful. And then he introduced me to all these people. He's like that friend who is like, man, Hey, it's so good to know you, but I want you to know all these other people who are going to enrich your life. And Lewis introduced me to Chesterton and Dorothy Sayers um, and, and so many others. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's really cool.
0: And it was crazy. This, this bright red butterfly. So we had just been by his office and his office, they keep red flowers in the windowsill. And I'm not like an overly mystical person. I don't think this was like Lewis's incarnation or his spirit or his, you know, um, animal, animal, whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, avatar. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd seen the red flowers by his office and I'm standing there by the graveside and I'm kind of having a moment. And this bright red butterfly just starts circling around and it comes and lands on my shoulder. And I'm like, really? I- hi wow (laughs) and so i took it all just as god giving me a a sweet sure (laughs) yeah the butterfly didn't talk to me yeah okay good good. (laughs) that's good We'd be worried. We'd be worried if it, if it yeah, had. New Growth might pull my book.
1: <laughs> yeah, wait till, you hear what, wait till you hear what he says in the podcast. That's right. You thought he was he creative. You yeah. thought he was creative before. He's really yeah. creative. He's kind of sketchy. <laughs> yeah, and sketchy. He has his sketchy views. Talking with Dan DeWitt has reminded me of the profound opportunities for ministry to students on college campuses, and with that, two helpful books by Shelby Abbott. First, Pressure Points, A Guide to Navigating Student Stress. This humorous, poignant, and conversational guide invites young men and women to practically apply gospel solutions to all of life's pressures, big or small. From navigating failure, roadblocks, and spiritual warfare, to tackling relevant, hard-hitting topics such as drinking, sex, dating, pornography, and the fear of missing out, Pressure Points by Shelby Abbott encourages college students to consider Jesus in the midst of everyday struggles. And second, another book is Doubtless, Because Faith is Hard. In Doubtless, author and crew campus minister Shelby Abbott comes alongside the young adults to help them honestly face their doubt and turn to God for the gift of faith. He reminds readers that Scripture recounts the stories of many men and women who have also faced deep misgivings and uncertainty in their walk of faith. Doubt should not scare us, nor should it become our obsession. You can learn more and pick up copies of Pressure Points and Doubtless, When you visit newgrowthpress.com. So yeah, so I mean, you know, I've always known C.S. Lewis to be um, really influential, especially in the college campus for for obvious reasons. And uh, and you know, I actually just turned 46 uh, two days ago, and so it's been a while. And we're the same age. Thank you.
0: And we're 46 too.
1: Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. When's your birthday?
0: January tenth. So I'm a okay. little older than you, not
1: okay. much, but- yeah, a little ahead. Um, but just that C.S. Lewis, for for obvious reasons, has is influential on college campuses, or at least was. You know, when I was in college, um, that you know C.S. Lewis, also Jerry Bridges, the you know the pursuit of holiness. That was yeah. another you know navigators were were a prominent group. What well, what's it like today? You you are much more in tune with the college campus scene now in, in, terms of education, what's it like today in colleges, Christian, Christian colleges, uh, and then, you know, maybe even secular colleges. What, what do you think is, is the role of CS Lewis? He's continuing to, to have really strong traction, uh, still, still a prominent figure influencing people, you know, the ways he influenced you.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And I think that, um, on the Christian campus for sure, and then on the secular campus, I don't know if this is going to fade the further we get from the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that I think Netflix just bought the rights to re-release some stuff or whatever. Um, oh. So, you know, I, I think it's going to just be perennial, you know, his, his stories and his influence are so powerful. I think it's going to come back in. And when I say movies, I'm talking about the Narnia stories. So, um but So even on secular campuses, like I spoke at um, Oberlin College or university there in Columbus for an outreach event one time, and um, because I don't have the kind of name like Elise Strobel or um, Frank Turek, you know, to where you have like a, an apologist who's like, people are like, oh, I want to go hear him. When I get the opportunity to speak at a secular campus, a lot of times they'll ask me, what do you want to speak on? And, you know, a lot of times I'll say, what if you did something like um, C.S. Lewis on making sense of the human experience? And which would be a part of what is this like growing way of seeing apologetics that's not new, but it's called cultural apologetics. So instead of kind of arguing from the top down, um, it begins with what's it feel like to be human? And then how do you make sense of that? Like what's a way of kind of like the Lewis quote I shared. And so at Oberlin College, I spoke at Eastern Kentucky University not long ago on the exact same topic. And, you know, it's people are always very familiar with C.S. Lewis. And it may just be that they've heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe it does have this perennial influence. And for me, I often leverage that to try and um, use it to gain a hearing with people who might not show up to, you know, come here, some random guy you don't know about, talk about Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll kind of, you know, use Lewis as the, uh, the bait.
1: Yeah. When you, when you
0: speak at um,
1: those events and there are people who are, who are somewhat in they're somewhat aware of C.S. Lewis, but then they want to, like you, like you did where you, you had a first introduction. And then all of a sudden you realize there were all of these other riches of C.S. Lewis that you could gain. Um, when you meet and talk with people like that, what do you suggest they, where do you suggest they start with C.S. Lewis? It, it, they might know a little bit from uh, Chronicles of Narnia, I'll say, uh, yeah. but then where do you suggest they go next? Uh, Cause there's obviously a lot of depth there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe it's something that, 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 uh, students of C.S. Lewis can ease into, um, you know, uh, start in the right place. What do you think is the right place
0: for yeah, someone? So to- I, I always lead with two books. And so when I teach Lewis, I, um, always require Screw Tape Letters and Mere Christianity, because I think it kind of gives you, they're both written around the same time period. And, um, but they give you kind of the, the, bookends of Lewis's writing, you know, his literary corpus. They have this like really creative, you know, who would have thought to write? Lewis's tape Letters is the uh, psychology of temptation from the opposite perspective. Like who would think of that? And um, and on the other hand, mere Christianity is this like clear, propositional, um, evangelistic, Lewis called it pre-evangelism, but it's evangelistic in nature, right? Like the goal is to, as Lewis says in the introduction, to get people into the great hallway of Christianity. Um, He says, it's not the room, you know, the rooms are where the denominations are. And at some point you need to move out of the the hallway and you need to find a room. You can't just be a mere Christian your whole life. And so Lewis says the rooms are where there's a meal and a fire and laughter. Um, But he just wanted to get them in the hallway. And so I tell him those two books. And then if I'm sitting down like one-on-one with someone, I might ask them, what's your discipline? Um, Mm -hmm. Because if they're into something like literature, um, his literary criticism is really his, um, or medieval, if they're into like the classics, um, his work in medieval and Renaissance literature and literary criticism would be really like interesting to them. Um, and so I have a friend who taught at Harvard and his PhDs from Harvard in the classics, and he said to, to this day, Lewis's work on, um, a, a preface to Paradise Lost which is so funny because Lewis loved Paradise Lost. So he wrote the preface to it years later, you know. Um, but he said it's still considered one of the one of the greatest resources on Paradise Lost. So um, but if you're not in that lane, you're not gonna be interested in that. So if you really want like apologetics, I'd say miracles and yeah, kind of but those two, screw tape and mere Christianity are the two I always lead with. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's really helpful. Um for people that that uh are familiar but need to become more, become more familiar, uh, for sure. One of the things that I really like about sketchy views, uh, your book, sketchy views, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously uh, is the role of the, of the sketching, which is, uh, which is not only interesting, but I think really helpful. One of the things I've noticed in my Christian life that have been repeatedly helpful to me is just the value of some kind of visual. I mean, that, that comes up a lot. Obviously that's a significant part of, um, sermons that we hear. There are in good sermons illustrations that help me to grab hold of the truth and make sense of it. Or, uh, you know, I remember learning earlier in my Christian life uh, and and a truth coming home to me was that that we really we really know everything that we know, everything that we know about God. We know by way of analogy, in Mm -hmm. some sense, there's there's some reference point or that we're relating to, to understand what God is like. There are pictures that are sketched throughout scripture. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I think that's such a strong point of, uh, value in, in your book, Sketchy Views, that they're not simply, um, just illustrations or something cute in the, you know, in the margins to look at, but they really help bring truth to bear, and and I wonder how how that how that has operated in your life in your Christian life.
0: You know, I I loathe reading student reviews because um, because you know usually you're going to get like eighty percent are going to be like yeah it was a good class and then you're going to have like ten percent like it's the best class ever and then um, you know you're going to have the ten percent who are like you know it's the worst class ever um, and so but I remember one time reading a student review and the student said. When you're at the dry erase board, that's when you're in your element, and they're like, "That's when you were the most helpful Mm, to me." And for for me, if I if I'm I'm hearing someone teach about something and I'm reading about it, if if I start trying to visualize it and see, you know, how can I connect this with that, you know, um, that's always really helpful to me. And I find that as I've as I teach that that's been helpful for a lot of students as well. And so there's an illustration in the book where. Um, it's the main illustration that shows up throughout the book where it's got, you know, God's two books. You know, I use a cloud to illustrate God just because that's a a metaphor the Bible uses. Mm -hmm. So I felt comfortable using that. Right. So I've got a cloud in the middle and then God um, revealed himself in the cosmos um, on one side and the heavens declare the glory of God. And on the other side, God revealed himself in scripture. And so for me, Psalm 19, um, Really is the, one of the best books in the Bible to think about those two books where David talks mm-hmm. about, you know, look at the sun from the rising of the sun to the mm-hmm. going down. you know, like, it, it's like giving a message about God, but it doesn't have a voice. So you, you see, like, you see this like beautiful, wonderful truth, but it's limited. And then I think it's juxtaposed with, but the the, the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. And then it's almost like David's giving these examples of, um, how do I really compare these two things, scripture and and what we call natural revelation, right? What God revealed about himself in nature. And so in this juxtaposition, David's like, you know, scripture is actually better than gold, which is the greatest, you know, think about the greatest commodity in the natural world. It's even better than that. Scripture is even sweeter than honey. And so, um, for me, trying to illustrate that to say both of these, you know, revelations of God are meaningful, but one's really limited and can only been be interpreted in light of the other. And so that illustration to where, so as I was drawing it out, I'm like, you know, it's almost like there's this arrow that from scripture we understand who God is. And from understanding that, we understand where our place in the world. Um, so that's where the whole idea of that's the direction of orthodoxy and the general concept is not unique to me at all i mean like this is 2000 years of creeds and um, you know of theological giants have made this point clear but for me it was like drawing it out, i'm like oh that's the direction and then if we go the opposite way which we all do on occasions and we're all challenged to do and we begin with how does it feel to be alive in the world what must god be like based on my experience then it's really easy to read the Bible in light of my experience, and that's how we de- how we develop sketchy views. Now, you may you know get some things right. You know, it's not like that's not always going to lead you down the wrong path. But man, that's a dangerous that's a dangerous uh, place to make your main priority or, or authority for knowing God. So for me, it was like that drawing out. I'm like it just clicked for me, and so I try to do that in the book. Yeah, I mean, I imagine everybody would
1: appreciate it because what you uh, said in, in quoting you know students about what they like about the class that when you're at the whiteboard, that's where I, the student, got the most out of everything. I, I think that not only says something about you because of your artistic, um, you know, gifting and interest and the way you can use that in teaching, but it also really says something about the student. And I think it says something sort of what I was saying earlier about everybody that it says something about the way that we are able to engage with truth in, uh, in this way. And, uh, because we, it also has that kind of metaphorical component to the mm-hmm. fact that we all have sketchy views. I have sketchy views. I have, I need someone, I need the Lord to, uh, darken in the lines for me of what is true. Help me understand, yeah more clearly what is true. And that's, that's of course the process of, of sanctification. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think the book Sketchy Views is, is, something that's useful and, and impactful to anyone who reads it. But in particular, since we're talking so much about the college campus, that's a place where Sketchy Views flourish. When I was in mm-hmm. college, that was a place where Sketchy Views, I didn't see them that way then, you know, I've I've had to have you know a lot of help to see, look back and say, oh yeah, yeah that wasn't exactly right. Um, sketchy views tend to flourish, and so um, so h- how do you see sketchy views being
0: particularly influential in the college years? Yeah, yeah. Um, so of course, I, I teach college, so that was like just became my easiest audience, and um, but I wanted to write it to to hopefully be accessible for. The, the person I would know best, even though the heart is deceptive of all things, would mm-hmm. be myself. So I try mm-hmm. to think through, like, at 17, I've been a Christian for two years, was wrestling with what do I want to do? Is it art or is it, you know, go to Bible college, which obviously I did. Um, I want to write to that kid <laughs> and try and say, like, here's some ways you can start thinking about God that will be helpful. And um, so I think that for most people in college, they're kind of reexamining their mm-hmm. commitments. And, um, you know, every major life stage, I think we kind of do that. Like when you have kids, you kind of start, you know, and probably when you hit retirement, you know, there probably is a later life thing of like, what really value, what do we, what, what matters most. And so I, th- I hope that as college kids are wrestling through this, whether they're believers or considering the faith, um, that this will be, I, I, I try to wrestle through, like I try to model, um, some processes like this is what it looks like for me to go to like Genesis. So if somebody's reading the book, they might get to the portion on creation and go, he he actually is kind of like meddling in like more particular doctrines. Whereas earlier I'm giving more general principles, but I tried to like illustrate, this is what it looked like for me to kind of work through. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of, there's a lot of chatter about what you should think about it, but how do you deal with the text? And I hope that for a college kid that even if they don't agree with every conclusion I would have in the book, that they would at least go, okay, I, I get this process. This is the process I want to commit to, even if I end up in a, you know, with a different conclusion. So I try not to be overly sectarian or denominational, but there are a couple of places where I probably get into a little deeper water, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a, a professor friend of mine tell me, and as I described this project to him, He said, do you just want to tell people what to believe or do you want to model a process for them? Mm. And I thought, you know, I probably want to do a little bit of both.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really helpful Um, and in clarifying, because it is so important to not just give out, just try to give out answers, come, you know, think what I think, but uh, have a process, which is so important on the college campus. Clear minded students are doing on the college campus, trying to find a way to make sense of the world. I really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you. We could be good friends.
0: Absolutely. uh, And I, I, I would love to find a way we can meet in Columbus sometime.
1: Oh yeah. Or we can meet halfway somewhere. Yeah. You've been listening to Straight to the Heart, a podcast from New Growth Press. Our next episode releases next week, and I look forward to seeing you there.